Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to the Shoes Biscuit podcast. I'm Alex Whiteley, and uh, we, this is show number two of what we've been doing today. And today we're going to be speaking about all all things Darwin's Garden and Shropshire Wildlife Trust. Um, obviously. Uh, Darwin uh, got his influences from a garden in Shrewsbury and uh, today we're going to be talking about that and the events that are going to be going on with the Darwin Festival and joining me today from Shropshire Wildlife Trust on Hughes and Sharon who's given a talk on the festival about Darwin's garden thank you very much for joining me guys hello Alex hello, hello. good morning now good afternoon now here good we afternoon. are just afternoon. just just we got there just in time um Thank you very much for joining me, guys. It's really important uh, that we be doing this. And as well, this is us breaking the ice with Shropshire Wildlife Trust. We've been going for a couple of years now, and we haven't worked together yet. So this is a great way to, to break the ice. Uh, so thank you for doing this. You know, doing this. And, and John, uh, we had a great conversation on the phone uh, a few days ago um, about, about Shropshire Wildlife uh, and how important it is and what you guys do to protect it. Um, do you want to sort of introduce to people what the Shropshire Wildlife Trust is and what it is you do? Yeah, okay. So we're we're a charity and we are one of 45 wildlife trusts throughout the nation. Most of them are sort of focused on a county. So you've got Shropshire and Cheshire and Staffordshire and things like that. So so we we only tend to work in those counties, but of course wildlife doesn't stay in those counties. So we do we do cooperate over things. And our role is about conserving wildlife habitat we are we are absolutely not a wildlife rescue um, we are all about looking after those wild places where, where wildlife lives and making sure it's it's able to thrive and we do that through um, we're probably best known for owning nature reserves so we we own places like earl's hill um uh, and uh, the Arkle, if you go over towards Telford. And we've got about 40 nature reserves throughout the county. Um, another one, another very important one in, in Shrewsbury, which we'll come to shortly. Um, but but we also work with community groups. Uh, we work with schools, anybody with, with kids at school. Um, in normal times, our staff have probably gone in and, and worked with the children, particularly primary age children, and introduced them to the wonderful world of wildlife. It's really important to sort of understand how to care for your environment, isn't it? You know, uh, especially with the ever-changing uh, strides in technology, um, industry, things like this that, that change around us. It, it's yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it's one of those things. Our job is to try and look after wildlife, but wildlife's everywhere, and we only own a little bit of land, and we mm. can only do a little bit. And so we are always encouraging people to do their bit, whatever that is, whether that's something they can do on their farm if they if they're lucky enough to have a farm in their garden. If they haven't got a garden, they can do something around the house, um, or they can get involved as volunteers with organizations like ours amazing amazing work now on the read-up for the uh, for your event on the darwin festival sharon it, it reads for many years sharon literally lived in darwin's garden and became fascinated by its history can you tell us more about that elaborate sort of what that what's that about yes yeah, certainly of course i will i was very fortunate with my husband to spend 13 years living in and restoring as best we could the family garden of charles darwin which is situated on the mount. I think um, lots of people 
know and have heard of Charles Darwin, but they automatically assume that everything about him is surrounded at uh, Down House in Kent. But in actual fact, he was born in Shrewsbury and actually at the Mount and spent most of his formative years there before he went away on the Beagle on that amazing voyage that changed his life and our knowledge of the natural world. So I have a great passion. I don't ever claim to be an expert on Darwin. I wouldn't dream of that. Um, But I do know about that garden. Um, And I've sort of given talks in the past, and John is always managing to persuade me to do just one more. And hence, I'm giving this talk in a few, I think next week, um, talking about the garden itself. I sort of like to think that if Charles Darwin was alive today, he'd be very comfortable with John Hughes. He'd find him a really interesting person. And I think he probably might have been the um, sort of David Attenborough of our town. He'd be promoting wildlife. He'd be encouraging children to be part of this wonderful world we live in. And I think he'd have been a very good ambassador for the Wildlife Trust. So I think the link between the two of them is really rather special. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm, I'm lacking. Do you not think I'm lacking the beard, though? That's that, that, that's the problem. <laughs> Alex has got a better beard than I have. He needs to work on it a little bit more. Get it I nice did, and long. I did until last week. I had a really big beard, uh, and I've got to say, uh, uh, props to Charles Darwin for keeping that big beard because <laughs> it's annoying. It's horrible. It's scratchy. It's itchy. It's just oh. <laughs> so I was just like I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> It was gone. One, uh, <laughs> one, one, one year for the Darwin Festival. Gosh, I can't really can't remember what it was. It must have been, it must have been about um, six or seven years ago. Um, we got people to make knitted beards. Um, I and we've got that. photos. <laughs> and we've got photos of of kids wearing knitted beards, Darwin beards, uh, and and I think even the. Um, the, the park run that takes place in the quarry. We had a load of people wearing knitted beards in yes, the, on I the park that. run. <laughs> I think the only problem with that image of Charles Darwin is that you see him as an old man. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful thing about living in Shrewsbury and um, that amazing garden is the fact that that was where he was a little boy. And part of being a child in that garden influenced him so strongly, I think, I mean, he had the most amazing family background. Um, DNA is everything. And uh, his father was a local doctor. Um, His father was Erasmus Darwin from Litchfield. And he was the guy you didn't want to be at school with because he was just brilliant at everything. He was a real polymath. You know, he did everything right. He was a doctor. He was a well-published poet. He was an inventor. He was a member of the Lunar Society. He was a real clever all-rounder. So... Those sort of genes were passed on to Darwin. And and actually, in some of his early work, um, if you ever go over to Litchfield, it's really worth a visit. It's completely free to go into the house. All the staff there are utterly wonderful. And it's an amazing um, legacy to Erasmus Darwin. A lot of original artefacts are still in there. But he, he started his own theory of evolution. But at the time, you couldn't challenge the church To do that as a doctor who relied for his his income on every level from his patients, no NHS, you had patients that paid or you starved. And he had his own theories about evolution, but he had to keep them to himself. 
because the very sort of Christian background of some of his patients would have meant they'd have walked away from him. So I think the the start of the theory of evolution started with Erasmus, I'm sure of it. And then on the other side of the family, excuse me, I'm going to cough. It's okay. <clears throat> it is a normal cough. <clears throat> <laughs> and um, if you look at Susanna, his mother's family, the Wedgwoods, who lived at Aturia, um, she was educated, which was very rare for a woman at the time. She did an awful lot with plants and botany with her brother, John, who was one of the founder members of the um, Royal Horticultural Society. And that influence was carried on to when she was in the garden with her plants and growing. And Charles was born into that. He automatically followed the gardeners around the garden. He worked with his mother on sowing seeds. Things were challenged, although they were a religious household. Um, on the mother's side, she was Unitarian and he was baptised at St. Chad's. Um, the family were challenging. I've got a lovely bit. I'll have to read it off here because I can't remember it all. I think sometimes we forget that Charles was actually quite a naughty little boy. He often <laughs> bunked off school. I'm sure if we read his report, it would say, um, could try harder. <laughs> often goes off into daydreams and spends too long looking outside the window and should apply himself to his Latin. But there's a lovely bit he wrote, and it goes as this. Sometimes I stole fruit for the sake of eating it, and one of my schemes was ingenious. The kitchen garden was generally kept locked in the evening and was surrounded by a high wall. But by the aid of a neighbouring trees, I could easily get onto the coping stone. I then fixed a long stick into the hole at the bottom of a rather large flower pot, and by dragging this upwards, pulled off all the peaches and plums which fell into the pot, and thus the prizes were secured. So he wasn't that daft, was he? So this <laughs> dreamy pleasant. little boy who was living in this very wealthy household had opportunities beyond belief uh, to be able to pursue his naturalistic instincts that align with the wildlife trust so well. And then, of course, to be able to go on the Beagle and thus start a, a chain of events would make him one of the most famous man, men in our country and in the world. When we lived at the the garden at the Mount, uh, we owned all the wood and all of the thinking path, the, the only original bit of the thinking path that was left, and part of the um, sort of main garden on the front. And we'd often just go out of the front door and we find people just walking around from all over the world, Brazil, Indonesia, everything, but an awful lot of people from India. And I don't do a very good um, impersonation of an, in, of an Indian voice, so my sincere apologies but I remember asking one gentleman why he was there. And he said, well, Darwin is very, 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 very big in India. Very, very big. And that sort of summed it up. It's crazy to think that this garden, this garden was almost responsible for an evolution that spread across the whole world, the whole world and still is today. You know, that, that garden was you know, partly responsible for changing the world. And, and uh, you, know, you talked about his DNA and his, his family around him as well. That's fascinating to think about. It's really important to, to sort of, keep that restored so well done for you know for your work and keeping them sort of revitalizing that garden to what it was back then um what what does the garden look like today do you know well we've moved on um it was yeah. an awful lot to sort of keep on top of but the mm -hmm. house was purchased by two delightful people both very keen gardeners and to my knowledge it probably looks better than when i had it uh, we did all the backbreaking work because it was in such a mess uh, the rear of the garden um which overlooked the river 
um, mm. was the base of the vinery, which is where they grew grapes and stored precious sort of um, heat-sensitive plants. And it's interesting that it was built for Susanna by Robert, her husband. Um, she had just brought in the most enormous dowry into the marriage, probably about, I think, John, didn't we say about £2.3 million in today's money? Something and like that, yes. She liked grapes, so, of course, what do you do when your wife brings in that sort of money? Well, you build a revinery and grow the grapes. Um, <laughs> yeah. when, so, when, when... When your when your dad is Josiah Wedgwood, knocking out pots by the million, you're—I mean, he, he he wasn't short of a bob or two, was he? No, he wasn't. And Susanna was his favourite, his first daughter, and was always thought to be his favourite. So he endowed her uh, very very well. But the most important thing was he also taught her. He taught her about chemistry in his own process. She learnt French. She was fluent in French. She had a lot of her father's sort of orders from France. And also she was a free thinker. And, and I think they encouraged that tremendously. And that, I think, was passed on to, to, to Charles. And, and I don't know if you know, please stop me from going on. I, I feel as though I'm talking and John no, isn't is getting beautiful. a word in this is beautiful. I love it. I love it. <laughs> There's the most amazing um, garden diaries that are owned by the most wonderful author, Susan Campbell. And if anyone's listening and wants to learn more, um, you can go online and find her articles. She, she's just great. And she owns the diary, one diary, one's missing. And when we did the programme in the garden with John and um, the Wildlife Trust for Country File, she trudged all the way up from the south of England on the train with this precious diary. And it was amazing being able to look at it. But every day they wrote something. And if you imagine a very, very large ledger, and on the top you'd have the date something like 1834, and then you'd have, you'd have sorry, at the top you'd have the second, let's take today's date, it's the, it's the 6th of February. 6th of February, and then you'd have 1884, 1885, 1886. And each day they went in and turned the page, and on that day they would write something like the cow was sick or they planted uh, pea seeds. And it gives this snapshot into this garden um, of all the things they did. But more importantly, it shows the process of recording information that Charles grew up with. And of course, that's exactly what he did on the Beagle. He recorded everything as meticulously as they did in the Garden Diaries. So Again, another influence from the family to train that young mind. I, I, I think that that's that's really that 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 in some ways that the if you look at what Charles Darwin's skills were, um, it, he wasn't as Sharon says he wasn't terribly academic certainly as a young man, and he had uh, three attempts at going to university. Um, uh, and didn't fare terribly well, but what he he was a great observer, so he was able to he learnt uh, in in the garden around Shrewsbury he learnt to observe things. He got fascinated by the natural world, and he just bothered to look. And I think that that's something that we can we, we can relate to at the moment because we're not able to go out and go up at those wonderful places that you know the far far flung places we've we've got to we've got to take our pleasures far more locally and going out locally and several people have said this 
to me. I've I've seen things I've never noticed before. So people are going out and they're observing. And that's what Charles did. He looked at things. He looked very closely. And then he he recorded them. But he then put structure to it. And and I think if, if anything was his great skill, it was it was observing, recording, and then and then working out how everything fitted together. Mm. And the classic example of that is when he was at the Galapagos, he was looking at the, the finches that lived on the different islands and the shapes of their beaks, and he recorded this and it wasn't on the on the beagle, but later when he came back and mulled over this, he was able to realise that that in effect you'd had what you started off with one bird, and it had evolved to to fill whatever the niche was on that particular island, whether mm. it its beak was for eating insects, or it was for eating seeds, or it was for getting into flowers. They'd evolved, and he worked that out, and that that was his real real skill. That observation, and and I, I like that so much because it's something anybody can do. Mm. You don't have to be super intelligent just to to stop and look and think and order things. And when that we, takes when... us very nice. Oh, sorry, Alex. No, no, please carry on, Sharon. Please, please, please. And that takes us very nicely into the thinking path because uh, the only remaining portion of the thinking path is at the bottom of the back garden at, um, at Darwin Gardens. And um, I didn't really know what it was when we moved there. It was only when a gentleman turned up from English Heritage and explained to us. And it was amazing to think that it was still there. And it's quite well documented that Robert took the boys, not the girls, just the boys. He took the boys on a daily walk and the walk went out of the rear of the house, uh, often through the window. They didn't use the door very much. That You can actually see a step at the window. If you can go around the back of the mount house, you can see it there. And they would go out and then they'd do this walk along the rear of the house and then down into the wooded area where the upper and lower levels meet. They'd walk around down to the bottom of the um, flower garden up through and back to the house but they didn't talk on this walk the idea was that they thought about what they were going to do that day and that lovely term think about the consequences of their actions and I really love that and of course when Darwin moved to Kent uh, with his wife Emma he replicated this walk and for years nobody quite understood why it was called the sand walk um, and it's only actually when you go into the wood, um, which is now owned by the Wildlife Trust, you can see there's an awful lot of sand in there and you can see where that comes from. And he carried on doing that walk after he'd been on the Beagle and returned and settled in Kent. And I like to think that what John's just talked about with the finches, he'd moulded over in his head on that walk. And, may, you know, there might have been that eureka moment on a particular portion of the walk that went, I've got that. God, why didn't I think about that before? And maybe started to form what he was going to write about. And, you know, Shropshire is such a fantastic county. We have so much geological and natural history. For Charles Darwin, it must have been like the sweetie shop. So many wonderful things to see. And I'm so pleased that the 
wildlife trust is encouraging everybody to look after these areas trying to buy areas of land and protect them they really are such a fantastic organization and if anyone's listening i think they should join i think it's a wonderful thing to do i, well, I don't get saved, paid, that I don't saved get me a job hasn't it <laughs> <laughs> I love this, by the way. I love the idea of um, the, us taking lessons from, from, from Darwin's thinking path. I, I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot, actually. There's been lots of posts about there's, there's people going out bird watching and stuff now. I've, uh, life was so busy before COVID, and I'm not saying COVID's great. It's not. Obviously, terrible things are happening. But if we were going to take positives out of what's going on, it's the fact that things have sort of slowed down a bit now. People can go out and they can bird watch and they can enjoy the nature. Um, I've seen some amazing nature shots from across the world, actually. My friend Andy McElfresh in LA, he's taking wildlife shots. I've seen people in Shropshire taking wildlife shots. There's lots going on that people weren't able to do because it was like the hustle and bustle of life is just kind of it's kind of quieting down a bit now so the idea i i, I think i think that's really interesting and i suspect even when you go back into the 19th century for a a, a local doctor like robert darwin charles's father his life would have been bustling he would have been incredibly busy because it not only was he uh, running his own surgery, he was involved with Millington's Hospital. He was he was a very astute businessman. He was he had fingers in lots of pies, and I suspect for him as well that opportunity to to just sort of take a little bit of quiet time mm. and and ponder things would have been very important and. And and this, this we know that this was there within the Darwin and uh, Wedgwood families. It wasn't something that Robert Darwin came up with. It, this was this was a something that the families just did. Um, and I I think you're absolutely right. It's something we could we can learn from. And we do we've we sort of run around at a thousand miles an hour and it it's you know everybody claims to be far too busy to do to do anything and you know the reality is we're not we 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 make our we make our own luck we make our own time don't we and if we choose to have a little bit of time out to just go and sit within nature not only will i will we make better decisions because we'll have thought about the consequences of things but i think we'll be happier and healthier and there's so much see so sharon sharon comes from a health background um and the link between nature and health is phenomenally strong and i don't think you need to be a a trained clinician to to realize that it, it's obvious isn't it you go you go out for a walk to the top of a hill um or in in the woods and you feel better dead simple it's interesting because robert darwin as you say was an amazing man and quite right that he had fingers in lots of pies and was very, very busy. And I think perhaps the only time he got that R&R time was as he got older and finished um, working in medicine and sat a lot of his time in, in the hothouse at the Mount House. Um, and there's some lovely anecdotes in the Darwin papers. It talks about when uh, Charles sends him a banana tree uh, while he's away at the Galapagos to plant in the hothouse. Um, so he's got, I can imagine him in this lovely sort of wicker chair, all padded up with cushions, you know, with the, the butler coming in with his uh, cup of tea. And he plants this 
oh, he gets a gardener to plant this um, banana tree. And in the correspondence back to, back to Charles, there's a lovely bit, and it says, he's named it Don Carlos, which obviously is Charles in Spanish, uh, in honour of you. And he sits underneath it and thinks of you in a similar clime. And I really love that. The thought that my son is probably sitting under a banana tree and I'm going to sit under a banana tree as well. And then they planted yeah. two enormous um, palm trees and they grew all the way up to the roof and it was pretty tall. So they must have been quite vigorous growers, I think, or pretty hardy when they arrived. But I think that might have been the only time that he had to sit back and think of nature and he'd been quite an aloof father in some ways, but the, the letters that you see are, are quite loving and rich with thoughts and observations um, about the garden and what was happening. Um, Charles said he couldn't wait to get home. He said wherever he'd been in the world, he just wanted to be back in Shrewsbury in that garden because nowhere else was like it anywhere. And that was rather lovely. There's distinctly an element of absence making the heart grow fonder, I think, isn't there? Because because cer certainly um, Robert thought Charles was a bit of a waster, didn't he? There's, there's some, there's some lo Never lovely... Never going to lovely... amount to anything. <laughs> yeah, the only thing yeah. he was interested in was was dogs and shooting and hunting, I think the quote yeah. is, yeah. Some, something like, like that. So he liked... Um, he liked playing around, um, but clearly, when once he was a few thousand miles away, um, it was a little bit different. I think I he think was. That. I think once he got on the beagle and it became, well, it took a long time for information to ferret back. It's not like we've got this device today, and he could show you all the fossils as he was going along, or not fossils, sorry, plants and everything as he was going along. I think he did become. He did realise that he did have a talent, and did become quite proud of him. But I think initially, where he'd failed at medicine, apparently only saw two operations, said he was never going to watch anything like that again. I think he saw an arm being amputated. That was it for him. Didn't think much of theology, really thought that was dreadful. And, of course, the other thing was law, but his brother had done law, so there was no point in that. So he was a lost soul, really. But along the way, he found his niche, and let's face it, he didn't make a bad job of it, did he? No. no. Right, we've got time to talk about the Darwin Festival as well. This is all amazing, by the way. I love reflecting on stuff like this because, like I said, we can all learn from it, and it's amazing to learn about um, our heritage and our history when it comes to Darwin. I mean, like, one of the best things I love to do when we, were, we would record at the parade where our studio is, um, which, of course, Robert Darwin, um, uh, he's <laughs> heavy links there, is stand on that back car park and just look over the view at the, the English Bridge and that beautiful view at the back of the parade there and just think. Just like, I've got this incredibly stressful interview I've got to do. I've got to be on the ball. Let's just disappear for a second. Just stare at this view for a bit. That's what I used to love to do. And it's, it's important to do that, I think. Um, the Darwin Festival is, is obviously upon us next week. Um, how important is it uh, to be part of this festival for you, John? And uh, what after us? Well, we, we've been part of it since it started, really. I and mean, it all sort of harks back to um, to good old John King, who, who got the thing going um, just before the, the bicentenary. And right from day one, we got involved because it, it, it's, it's all about the stuff that we're interested in. Uh, and, you know, you can, as, a, as an organisation that's all about nature conservation, you can trace our roots straight back to Charles Darwin. 
So we've obviously got to be involved. And um, John ran the ran the festival for a few years, and then we took on the mantle of running the festival for for a while. Um, and the bid came along and and took it on. But we were always really interested in, and it's exactly as Sharon says. It's not the old man with the beard. It's the young, inquisitive boy young man um that that we were really interested in that that that's sort of what we own that's what shrewsbury owns we don't mm-hmm. all own the old bloke with the beard who sits on that on that statue outside the library we actually own the young man the one who was who was forming his 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 ideas and we took that and we always wanted to use that to say come on kids let's go and have a look see if this is going to um just get your enthusiasm going you you too doesn't matter you know you don't have to be um terribly intellectual you don't have to be very good at at school subjects you can be a darwin if you get passionate about something and i think it was it was you know as we've seen it was this this passion this this structure to the way he worked that caused him to be the great man that he was and anybody can do that and our aim has always been to find shrewsbury's next charles darwin and I do believe I do believe it's out there as well. I mean, like I talk about it on the show an, an awful lot. Is I believe there's something in the in the river. There's something there's something there. There's something in the seven that just creates innovation, and we see it all around us. Um, especially, um, I mean, we've seen lots of it during this this pandemic. Is people come up with these amazing ideas. Um, the whole world is evolving around us, and that's not the correct term. It's not at all. But like you know, technology is evolving, business is evolving, um, and the people are coming up with amazing ideas. And I can't help but think it's something geo graphical about that it's something nice to think about i think i i you know if it if it's anything i i think it is this business of of shropshire is it's a little bit slower you know and and i'm i'm not from shropshire originally i came here in the 1980s and with a view to staying two or three years and blow me i'm still blinking here um (laughs) and and there's something about it and it just grabs you doesn't it and it gives you that space to breathe it gives you that time to think Uh, and i i i i think it it's it's one of those places that you're you're absolutely right it it does spark thought and innovation uh, and ideas yeah ideas are great i think it's just the most amazing county you can go to each area and find something new everywhere you go it is quite astonishing i I, it's the uh, graveyard of ambition because people move here and they don't leave Yes, and there's Here a reason go. for that. Case in point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Shropshire born and bred, and I would never leave. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am Shropshire born and bred. I was born in Shrewsbury, but I only came to uh, I only came to Shrewsbury to live sort of three, four years ago, and I've, I'm never going anywhere else. I love the place; it's uh, it's amazing. Someone's ringing my doorbell. Nobody else is here. <laughs> Doing a live show. Okay, let's talk about the Darwin Festival, what you guys are doing. Because, Sharon, you're doing a talk on on, um, on Darwin's Garden. Is this something you do regularly? Is it something you enjoy doing? Um, well, I don't mind doing it. Um, I'm happy to do it. Um, I'm, I suppose I'm like most people. I get a little bit nervous because I never want to let John down and the trust. I always try to do my best. Uh, this is a format this year with Zoom, is it? 
I think it's... This is StreamYard. It's very similar to StreamYard. I, I, I know. I'm awfully sorry. You're StreamYard, but I'm just trying to remember the format it is for the tour. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably do it over Zoom, or Zoom. which, Zoom. which, will, which will look very similar to this. Yeah. So this is all very new to me. I'm, I haven't evolved as well as Darwin. He would have got the computer system just like that, but I'm still a fountain pen on paper girl. So this is quite quite out of my comfort zone. But but the talk is about the garden. Um, it's about the family and about what happened when they moved there, how the family evolved, how it affected Charles Darwin, and talking about the garden diaries. Um, I hope it will be interesting for people. I've been very sure fortunate. Be. I've been along to some talks and they've been very well attended. But as I've said before, I'm not a Darwin expert. I can only speak about the garden. Um, but John and I have taken some tours in some pretty atrocious weather. We've been soaked to the skin. In fact, we went on one last year and we would have paid the person who came on the second tour to go away because it, it was stair rods coming down and we were soaked to the skin. It was, it was one of the named storms, wasn't it? I forget which one it was. Which one it it was. was. Um, uh, and, but but th- this is obviously this year is a bit of an unusual format for us. And, and typically we have done walks. Um, so we can actually look at places because mm. so many of the of the places Sharon will talk about still exist. Um, some of them are, are swept away under under development. The, the 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 gardens, the the Darwin estate was what was it five acres something like that, Sharon? Oh, more was, than that, seven more, acres. More, was it? Yeah, was it? It was. It was. It was, it was big. big. I, I have to say, Sharon did not manage a garden of seven acres, did you? And, <laughs> Two acres. <laughs> Two acres. It was a couple, was couple of acres. Uh, but 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 actually to go out and and see the remnants of of some of these places that were there, and they are very clearly places that Charles Darwin would have would have played, would have worked. The the outbuildings in particular. Um, there's stories of him, him and his brother, um, blowing up one of the outbuildings and and doing all, all and and all these things still exist, and you can see yeah. them. And the thinking path, which is wonderful, uh, I it it gives me such a, a a buzz to go and stand on this path where I know full well young Charles would have walked and would have stood and it, there's 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 an ice house in the in the land we acquired off of Sharon and I am fairly certain it, it, that would have been such a um a point along the track that he would have stopped there and I always like to stop there and and just think I'm in the footsteps of Charles Darwin here yeah, it's no. quite that's amazing, special. Isn't it? I think uh, I don't know if you remember there was a gentleman who used to work for the council called Peter Boyd and he was really very knowledgeable, Scottish roses and Darwin. And um, he put a proposal forward to the council, must have been in about 2000, 2001, when my husband and I bought the property. And he suggested that the council bought the house. And I think they missed such an opportunity. They'd have owned the front garden, the wood, uh, the terrace, the thinking path. I mean, what, and, and if they could acquire the mount, imagine combining it all together. What an amazing tourist attraction that would have made. I don't think the people who bought it off us are prepared to sell it, but uh, I suppose they might. But, um, but, uh, but it, it, it's, it, it's really, I, I thought it was, I mean, I, as I say, I moved to, 
Shropshire in the 1980s, middle middle of the 1980s, and I never realised for ages and ages that Charles Darwin was born in Shrewsbury. Um, and it it took us, I think it was about 2006, seven, and after lots and lots of hard work by John King, that finally we got signs around the around the town that said birthplace of, yeah. of Charles Darwin. The only thing we ever had was a shopping centre. And we know how much Charles Darwin loved going out shopping, don't we? His favourite <laughs> pastime. Um, but but yeah, to to have somebody who is of such international renown and and not celebrate that is criminal really and and i really do take my hat off to john king and all the hard work that he put in to yes. to get the festival up and running john king yeah, is going to be he turned on up our, at our house sorry sorry i was sorry. gonna say john king is coming on our show next uh, he's gonna be on our is show he? next week. excellent yes, well tell him well. tell him he's a, he's a good fellow he knows that he, he knows indeed. i think yes. that <laughs> well, i must admit he came out to our house and we couldn't get rid of him it was in the nicest possible way. He got so excited about Darwin because the previous owners hadn't allowed him into the garden. And uh, he was so excited about everything. And eventually we had to say, well, you've been here three hours. I think we'd quite like to go and have our lunch now. So uh, on our first morning there, we were sitting there in our gym jams and a bus came up the drive full of Japanese tourists who got out and came up to the window with cameras. And, you know trying to be nice British people. We nipped upstairs and got dressed, came downstairs, and they come looking for Darwin. So we made them a cup of tea and gave them what cake and biscuits we'd got. They got in the bus and drove off. But it was spontaneous. I have, when it's been open and you could walk in, I've taken my boy up there and gone, this is where Charles Darwin grew up as a bit. This is where he's from. And, you know, just trying to instill that sort of inspiration into him. He was five at the time. Doesn't understand, but, you know, you could try. Um, We only opened it three or four times, I think, but it was just so popular. It but it, it is, but but it, it's you know. But part of the problem is we have this absolute wealth of of uh, you can only call them geniuses, Victorian geniuses, I think. Mm. And and it's astonishing how many how many amazing people Britain produced in the Victorian era. And I think because of that, Dar- Darwin is is just one of them. And and certainly, I, I think it, it Sharon's experience is is really interesting. How much um, people from other countries revere Darwin, and mm. we said some bloke on a ten. We used to be some bloke on a ten pound note with a beard. Mm. Not quite sure what what he did, but but you know he he absolutely changed the face of society. Absolutely. And I think as long as the Wildlife Trust is involved in the Darwin Festival, I feel quite sure that we will carry on promoting him in a very positive manner. And I think uh, the Wildlife Trust needs, you know, a bit of applause for that. I think they've done a really good job. Um, and what I'm looking at now, what you guys are seeing is the, is the website, um, which is where you can go and book tickets to the events that we're talking about. Um, um, you go to uh, originalshrewsbury.co.uk and you click on the Darwin Festival. And here is a list of all the events that are taking part during the week. You see the dates there. There's John King there, look. Um, <laughs> and uh, we have your events here at the bottom. Um, so we have uh, the future of, of Shropshire, um, uh, a free question time event for 11 to 24. So that's great that you get people's mind working. I like that. And then uh, living in Darwin's garden and say we want to attend Sharon's event. You click on the picture 
and there's a button there to book a ticket. Very easy. And it's also um, international, universal, whatever you want to say. Anyone can access this. So that's the best thing about this Darwin Festival this year is everything is accessible for people all around the world. So if you want to watch this, if you want to get part in it and take part in it, enjoy any of these lectures, it's available to anyone no matter where you are in the world. So that's beautiful. I love that. And then and then when things are back to normal, visit Shrewsbury. Simple as that. Come to see you us. You will yeah, not be absolutely. disappointed. Absolutely. Well, you guys have been amazing guests. I've really enjoyed this. And this is exactly what I wanted from this show. Just a nice chinwag. I talk about what, what inspires us about Darwin and what you know what we love. And uh, Sharon, I would love to, to invite you back on The Biscuit when it's not live, when we can just relax, we have a cup of tea and have a real long natter about, about your history and what you love about John Darwin's garden. Because I feel like we've covered about 15% of it today. Um, Ooh, so I'd love about to... five. <laughs> five, five. I've got pages of, of research I've done and uh, on the garden and uh, it's trying to fit it in um, yes. with the talk I think it's going to be about uh, an hour John isn't it something like an hour and uh, an hour goes very quickly um, mm -hmm. but uh, as long as I don't bore people to death I'll be happy no but this is the thing isn't it you know you're only going to go to this lecture if you really want to go to it so people that are going to attend are going to really enjoy what they're going to hear so I, well, I, I have no so. doubts that people are, are going to enjoy so. it Sharon is far more expert than she lets on. She'll give a fantastic talk. I'm I sure recommend it, will it be to amazing. everybody. I'm sure it will be amazing. Oh, thank you, John. Um, it's because I'm free. You... <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's free at the moment, aren't they? Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> where are you going then? Why can't you be available? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, when um, somebody rings up at the moment and says, "Can I come on Thursday?" So I'll just go and check the diary. Going. <laughs> oh there's a waitress delivery that's great you know i've got something on that day unless you're like me and you, you agree to do something and then completely forget like i did the other day with you we, we won't Very talk silly. about that though we'll, we'll let no, that we won't pass. talk about that i felt so bad about it um john would you like to tell people where they can get in touch with the wildlife trust and how they can get involved yeah so it just just search for shropshire wildlife trust and uh you'll find our website and all the information you could want about wonderful places to visit, how to get involved, what we're up to, and most importantly, how to join us as a member. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, fantastic. I, I would like to tell people about our website as well before we go. And our website is uh, shrewsbiscuitpodcast.co.uk. Uh, that's powered by our friends at Web Orchard. If you do need a website, make sure you check out Web Orchard. They're amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you so, so much to everybody for watching today and my amazing guests. Uh, you guys have been fantastic. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, and make sure you guys check out the Darwin Festival. It's amazing. and You will, you will learn something and you'll enjoy it. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, guys, for joining us. Okay, bye bye. Our right, pleasure. Catch you guys next. Bye bye, everybody. Please. Bye. It's just me now. I'm bound this. Sorry, I've got to just vlog off, don't I? Leave studio. Okay.